Welcome into the Brooklyn Grit with one of your hosts, Brandon. We are doing a special segment, Season Review. This is the New Orleans Pelicans edition, coming right up. If you're looking for the hottest Nets gear, like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving 7-Eleven shirts or individual shirts, look no further than Flatbush and Atlantic, the number one stop for Nets fans and Nets gear. Use the promo code GRIT, G-R-I-T, for an exclusive 20% off on your next order. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Get your shirts now. All right, Brooklyn Grit listeners, we are back here with another edition of the Season Review. We are here with Mike, and he work and he writes for the Bird Rights. Is that am I saying that right? Yes, the Bird Rights, and they write often. Yeah, so that is awesome. That's uh, exactly what lots, we do. <laughs> lots of content over at the Bird Rights to cover the New Orleans Pelicans, who had probably one of the best, the best off seasons that I've ever seen. David Griffin, Tangent Langdon, who came over from the Nets, they're doing a tremendous job over there. What are your thoughts on their offseason? Brandon, first, thank you for having me on. Uh, I think the overall assessment of the offseason for me is that it was it was very good in short. And obviously, there's a lot more detail that goes into that. But it was a little bit scary at first thinking, OK, let's see if the organization can hit the reset button without having to climb over too many hurdles. And there turned out not to be very many hurdles at all. They seemed to do exactly what they wanted to do, almost to a, a pick a picture-perfect tee, and now the fun part is getting to see if it can uh, play out. Yeah, um, you guys took Trajan Lagden, who was the assistant GM to Sean Marks over from Brooklyn, and I think he's done a fantastic job. I've, I'm have i an avid NBA watcher, so I watch average three games a night during the season. You guys were always one of my favorite. I really enjoyed Christian Wood towards the latter part of the year, Julius Randle. Um, he was a part of that whole Lakers fiasco with D'Angelo Russell, so I was always interested in his story. So I watched you guys a lot. You guys played a nice up-tempo game. I wasn't sure how um, your coach, Alvin Gentry, was going to last, but it seems like he weathered the storm and for good reason. Yeah, yeah, Alvin, it was it was basically the other talk throughout the season last year, other than where Anthony Davis was going to end up, was whether or not – Coach Gentry would be able to kind of get his way into the next season. Maybe they'd want a whole sea change, but it turned out that his prior relationship with David Griffin probably helped him in communicating his goals. And obviously the two found that they were on the same page, which is something that I I'm a fan of. I mean, if they're comfortable working with each other, it's always nice to have that relationship and work out the, the other parts of it a little bit later on, because just a few years ago, when Monty Williams was the head coach and Dell Dems was the general manager, there was always seemingly kind of a disconnect there that those two weren't on the same page. And that probably played out in a bad way on the court, which kind of resulted in some of those subpar Anthony Davis led seasons for them. But, but like you mentioned, uh, given the circumstances last season was, was kind of a fun one. I mean, the Pelicans did get the number one pick and that's going to get remembered, but they weren't a, a horrible team. Even with Davis out, Drew Holiday kind of showed the, the alpha dog mentality that a lot of people wanted to see from him at some point in New Orleans, but he hadn't really gotten a chance to show it. And he got to show it for a stretch of games before he had a, a quote-unquote injury to 
to finish out the season to kind of help with those those lottery balls a little bit. But it could have definitely been a lot worse, and I don't know if it could have actually been much better given everything that's happened. Yeah, I, w- I was actually really excited. That draft lottery night was crazy. I don't, I'm don't. i not a huge fan of tanking. That's why I didn't want the Nets to do it. I'm glad they didn't, and they really over-exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good to see a lot of the tanking teams fall out of the top three, and you guys get them along with Memphis. I thought that was that was great. And it's always it's always funny with the lottery because it's not like anybody deserves the number one pick. Like, if deserves is ever the right word, but that's the one that gets that gets thrown around. And for good reason. I mean, all the teams that did fall out, I mean, specifically the Knicks, I'm from New Jersey, so it was kind of a living in the eye of the tornado. Everybody else was just totally beside themselves that Zion wasn't going to come to New York and I can just strut around in a Pelicans hat and get weirder looks than I usually do. But yeah, but it is, it is, I think overall, obviously this is from a very person after the first year of the restructuring of the odds. I think that kind of variability is good moving forward. Sure. Maybe a bad team doesn't get as good immediately, but it's not like some of the teams in the past decade that have gotten the number one pick have taken advantage anyway. And I mean, the Minnesota Timberwolves look at Cleveland's, yeah, and, uh, exactly. You look at the two number one overall picks in back-to-back years that the Timberwolves had, and you yeah. have Andrew Wiggins, who's now one of the worst contracts in the league, and Anthony Bennett, who's no longer in the league. So it's some teams, it's just a matter of circumstance, and I think the Pelicans were just even more fortunate that this year Mr. Williamson happened to be on the board. Well, I mean, you can even take into factor, I think this just happened just two years ago uh, when Boston got the number one pick from Brooklyn. They traded as a Philly, and they drafted Markel Fultz. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's exact exactly the point. And I mean that that one is a little bit less evaluative. I mean, I I think he he probably has the yips. Is something that's wrong with his shot that I've always thought. I don't know if it's necessarily an injury based thing, but that's something you can't you can't predict. And it seems like the the comforting thing throughout the year for whatever team was going to win the lottery was that Zion seemed like as bad as close to a, a sure thing, if not a sure MVP candidate, franchise-changing player, he was going to be a player worth drafting and worth, and worth watching, and that's not something every team gets to, gets to have. I agree. I do have one question for you. Zion in Summer League, he looked a little bit overweight, and I saw some practice videos where it looked like he had struggled jumping, I'm, I'm not sure. And then Coach K came out and said he wasn't in shape for Summer League. So I just want to get your thoughts on if you have any concerns about weight going forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, really, I'm not really concerned. I, I think it's Coach K's perspective definitely helps you recognize that, oh, yeah, Duke did not make it to the finals in March Madness. They were not playing as deep as a few of the other teams in the nation. So it had really been a few months since Zion had been in a game. And that's not necessarily an excuse to fall out of shape. I didn't think he necessarily looked as pristine as maybe he will one day. But, I mean, you're a 19-year-old. You're, not, you're leaving college. You're not graduating college yet. But yeah. you are just hanging out. I mean, I'm sure he was working out to an extent. And I think the explosiveness, even in the brief time he was at Summer League working out, there were enough videos for me, at least, of him dunking ferociously him being yeah. able to move around nimbly. And I think especially with the hiring of Aaron Nelson to kind of head up the, the health and wellness department for the Pelicans, I think that that's going to 
really help him moving forward. And I think by the time he gets to my age, which is early 20s, I think he'll – it's suffice to say he'll look a lot better than I do at, at 23 right now. So. <laughs> The only thing I'm hoping I'm uh, hoping that doesn't happen if he he turns into another like Anthony Bennett or you know Aunt Michael Ola Candy or even <clears throat> Kwame Brown or anything like that. Just you know, right? Michael Ola Candy came in there with high expectation, but he got a little overweight and stuff like that, and he just went downhill from there. I'm just hoping he he is what they all say because you guys. I predicted you guys to make the playoffs this year, and that's you guys have a very young, exciting team. Yeah, and, and I think it's something that, that David Griffin has said over and over again in, in the weeks since they've, they've drafted Zion is that the, they've put themselves in a position right now where their, their fate in at least this season and maybe even next season, it, it's not as reliant on Zion as, as it is on some of the other guys producing because you look at yeah. – a roster that has Drew Holiday likely leading the way. And then Lonzo is a player who I have high expectations for immediately. He's kind of entering the time of his career, I guess. He's finally got his sea legs under him after a couple of years in the league. He, more than probably any other player in the league, needed a fresh start to get out of, out of the shadow of LeBron James. I think with those two, with Derek Favors and J.J. Redick on the team, they're going to be shouldering a lot of responsibility in the locker room and on the court. And if Zion can immediately ascend to a, a higher tier of production in the league, great. I think everybody or most people agree he has the potential to do that. But I don't think that what it, a playoff berth is necessarily contingent on Zion panning out to the full ex, fullest extent. He can have an average season, and I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. I 100% agree with you. The player I think has the high, most high expectation on your team is Brandon Ingram. Mm, yeah, he has yeah. so much talent, so much potential, and he's shown flashes of it, but he's not. He hasn't put it all together to be that consistent. Yeah. So, so Brandon Ingram, it's going to be interesting this year because I, I think I agree with you. He's definitely one of the most talented players on the roster. He definitely has a lot of untapped potential. And I mean, part of that is because he hasn't necessarily been able to tap into it in his first three years in the league. But I think the first few months is going to be critical for him because we still don't know what kind of player he could be or wants to be. I think his year one, the year two transformation from a three point oriented player to a more ball dominant, get inside the arc and create from there type of player we don't know which direction he necessarily wanted to continue that growth in because LeBron James's presence kind of, it took Ingram off the ball a little bit. And then when he had it, it seemed like he was hesitant to shoot from three. And I do think his current skill set, the way he needs to handle the ball and that lack of perimeter shot, it's, it's going to be tough for him to see consistent floor time, especially in crunch time with guys who aren't necessarily elite shooters on the court because J.J. Redick likely won't be able to share the court very often with Ingram. So even though I think Lonzo Ball and, and Drew Holiday are going to be able to be decent from the guard position from three, it's not like Derek Favors is going to be doing you any favors spacing-wise right. either. So, so I do think even, even if he only makes them at a 30% clip, which still isn't what you want, 
he's got to, I think, boost the volume a little bit just to make himself a little bit more of a threat because otherwise things might get clogged a little bit more uh, than a, a lot of people, especially Alvin Gentry, would like. Do you think he starts? If, if I had to choose with my head, I would say yes. He's probably going to start at least in the beginning season. I think he'll be in that starting five. I don't know if he'll make it through the entire season in that role, though. I think if I had the ultimate privilege of picking the Pelicans lineups, I think I would start Josh Hart at the three along with Ball, Drew Holiday, and then rounding out that rotation with Derek Favors at center and Zion. I, I think Hart is kind of the, the jack-of-all-trades of sorts in that three spot. He's not as electric from beyond the arc as J.J. Redick was. He's coming off of a down shooting season, but he also kind of shores up those defensive inefficiencies as well. So he's kind of at least – he might not be a superstar-level productive, but he's going to be productive, which on Brandon Ingram's off nights – he, he could very well not be. I expect him to get a lot of minutes no matter what, but whether or not he's in that, that big five is, is going to be interesting to see. Yeah, you guys have a – I wouldn't want to be in Alvin Gentry's shoes. You guys have a lot of depth and a lot of youth, a lot of people yeah. who want to start. Yeah, so I think JJ, that's a funny predicament. It's, yeah. it's, it's really weird um, coming from just one offseason where you guys were struggling to put NBA players on the court after a couple injuries and – Anthony Davis fiasco and all that stuff, which which brought you know Christian Wood. He he got paid from Detroit, which is nice. And I and I think that's I mean he was definitely a bright spot near the end of the season, but the the crunch, like you said, is just too much there. I don't know how much playing time he could have gotten. I mean his Duke status could only help him so much when one yeah. of their other end of the bench big men is Julia Okafor. That's probably his main competition to try to sneak his way onto the floor a little bit. And I mean, I think the nets from the past couple of years, I mean, more so last year, I think than any, it's kind of a similar spot. These guys deserve rotation minutes, not necessarily starting caliber minutes, but for the supporting cast, it's tough to see, okay, who's going to get 18 minutes and who's going to get seven minutes a night. Cause that could yeah. be, difference for one of those fringe teams sneaking into the playoffs and, and being in the lottery again. Yeah, yeah I, I 100% agree with you. I do think J.J. Redick needs to start. I don't think he would sign there if he didn't. I'm not 100% sure. But the the role he played in Philly, he was he was crazy in Philly. Um, always reliable three-point shooter. I think he shot, what, near 40% from three last season? Yeah, I mean, J.J. is always is going to provide that shooting. I think he might have tailed off a little bit percentage-wise, but it doesn't seem like that was any sort of decline for his skill. I mean, sometimes the shots aren't just going to fall. I think he yeah. – that that's the key is I think it's going to be that three spot. Who's going to fill in primarily next to Ball and Holiday? Because theoretically, you could play Ingram and Redick together in the bench unit and then have Brandon Ingram be the ball handler that he often was before LeBron James showed up in Los Angeles. And then maybe you run out somebody like Etwan Moore and that's the three front court player or the three back court players rather. And then you try to piece it together with, with Okafor or Jackson Hayes or Nicolo Melli in that, in that sort of second unit. I think there's a way to balance it where on a given night, Hart Ingram or, Reddick can all play starter level minutes 
and and contribute in a in a significant way. But who gets to play with that finishing five? Which th- just that phrase might scare some Pelicans fans. That was the the term used for Tyreek Evans, Eric Gordon, Davis, Holiday. Oh and, uh, man, yeah. In the day, but that that final five, I'll, I'll call it for now, is gonna be is gonna be pretty interesting to see how long it takes to get to a st- stable spot. One thing I didn't really think about, I would not trust J.J. Reddick guarding a three just because he's not a very good defender. Um, so I think you're spot on with Josh Hart starting or Brendan Ingram because I don't think J.J. Reddick can guard a three. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing size-wise. I mean, Ingram hasn't been particularly effective defending. I mean, he does get more steals than Reddick does, which definitely helps. But we're actually on the bird rights. Charlie Gonzalez is working on on a piece for us that – is kind of looking at at JJ Redick and his pastime playing the three, and with a couple of big men in lineups that feature uh, the his old Clippers teammates. So when he was playing alongside guys like like Chris Paul Randy and Foy. Randy Foy, those those types of players. If if Foy was still around with Redick on those teams, but but nevertheless, he he has at least played passable ball in that role and in some matchups where no matter who you put out there, it's going to be tough to defend. I mean, it's going to be tough to defend a guy, a team that has multiple wings, no matter who the Pelicans play. If you're going up against a team, like say the Clippers, Drew Holiday has guarded uh, Paul George in the past, but somebody's going to be on Kawhi. And if you don't want to risk getting beat on both ends, like you might with Ingram, at least you get good offense with JJ Redick out there. So, so it'll yeah. be. I think it's going to be very matchup dependent, at least at the very. Yeah, that's it's, that's going to be really really tough. I'm really interested to read your guys' piece on everyone's predictions and what they think the Pelicans are going to roll out game one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be. I mean, it, it is like you said earlier. Like for Alvin Gentry, it's it's a problem that you love to have, but it's a problem nonetheless because a lot of these players have to have minutes. I think what makes it different from the Celtics of the last couple of years, where it seemed like they kind of had an abundance of players, is that I think a lot of these players that they have a little bit deeper on their bench, they're not expecting a big role, but they deserve at least a small one. Like Ken, Kenrich Williams was another guy who at the end of last season really turned it up. Etwan Moore, I mean, bless Etwan Moore's heart. He had to be in that unfortunate position of guarding threes for most of the last few years, and he can hard twos at an adequate level, but now he'll be able to come off the bench in a more supplementary role. I mean, Frank Jackson is a rookie that a lot of Pelicans fans want to see growth from in the second year, but it's going to be a minutes crunch for him. So, so they do have guys that would that a lot of Pelicans fans, including myself, would like to see on the court as much as possible. But I don't think those guys will be a detriment to the locker room if they're not getting six to eight more minutes a night. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you this. What was Pelicans Twitter and your thought when you saw the Woj bomb of the Nets sweeping free agency signing Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and DeAndre Jordan. It was definitely a lot of fun. I mean, like I said, I'm living in the New Jersey area, and there are a lot of Nets fans that I knew personally, but then just seeing NBA Twitter kind of at large, the way they react is, is always fun with that. And I was kind of in the tea leaves a little bit with Kyrie 
hanging out with his new Nets buddies already in, in Brooklyn with Spencer Dinwiddie and then signing with Rock Nation. It kind of felt like Kyrie was a sure thing, but then I, I want to say Durant was a little bit of a surprise, but the, the DeAndre Jordan factor was, was probably the most surprising part of it all when you think about it because he just wasn't a guy that I think a lot of people were, were thinking of in this, in this big free agency period. And, but with that said, I do think, and it's kind of, he gets kind of thrown under the bus a little bit in terms of, okay, we, if are the Nets going to have to play this guy in the rotation, are they going to have to satisfy him? I think he's going to be one of the most productive players on the team this year. I mean, given his role, I mean, he's probably going to be having the minutes at center with Jared Allen. Does, does that sound totally outlandish to you that he's going to be a pretty valuable player for them this year? I mean, he's probably going to play like 25 minutes a game or something like that. No, I agree with you 100%. I, I think in my in my game one prediction, I have him starting over Jared Allen. A lot of people think that's crazy. But for watching Jared Allen in the past two years, he's really thin, fragile. He's shown some strength in the summer league. But, I mean, he went through like a stretch there on our – seven, eight-game, 24-day road trip where he was giving Jamel, JaVale McGee like 37 points, 14 rebounds, and like seven blocks. I'm just like – That's a sign. Ha- if there is yeah, a sign. <laughs> everyone was having career nights on him, and he was just getting bullied. Like, it, it was just – it's just wasn't worth it. So now we finally have a body that can guard a big and not get bullied and pushed around, someone who has – the girth to handle the low post presence. So it's going to be really interesting. Um, it's really interesting how the Nets work the cap space because Kyrie Irving took a little bit less, but how the sign and trade worked, it's not like the Nets paid anything for them. They do, but the way they worked it all, they don't really pay anything extra for them. Right. Yeah. And I mean, they got, they got the protected first and, and they are like you, you mentioned earlier about the Randall trade kind of being connected with all the Russell business their their pelicans are even more directly connected because that 17th pick that went from the nets to the hawks in the tory and prince trade now became Nikhil alexander walker who kind of came out of nowhere and had an awesome summer league which he was a guy who i didn't know before summer league so getting to see him out there out there was fun and i mean to jared allen's credit i'm a fan of jared allen he posterized ad while while i was watching my formerly beloved unibrow center <laughs> seemingly have a decent matchup, but alas, uh, Al went in and dunked with him. But I, I think it's a great point. I mean, I don't think DeAndre Jordan is washed. I think his strengths are still good enough where he's going to be valuable. Obviously the shooting at the free throw line is an issue, but he gets to the line a lot. He knows what shots he can take on the floor and he still rebounds and block shots. And I think that's going to be pretty important for a team that like the Pelicans, I mean, I think they're going to be right in the playoff hunt. I don't think it's a shoe in by any means, unless Kevin Durant kind of accelerates his, his path to recovery. But I think it's going to be a kind of tight race in that sort of bottom eight for the kind of seven through 10 range in the Eastern conference, which I think is going to be pretty fun to watch. I mean, you got the teams like the Pacers are going to try to, to get in there. I think the Pistons are, I mean, they're always around 500 or slightly below it. I think it's going to be a, a fun group of teams to keep track of, but they're probably the funnest among them. Yeah, I I just think the Pistons, they're just in a interesting predicament. I, th- I think they're one struggle. If they struggle out of the game, I think they, they blow it up. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 
I mean, it's kind of surprising that they haven't already because I think their their biggest chip is is Blake Griffin, and if if he's untradeable, you just gotta hope he can somehow kind of regain that star power that he had earlier. But it just doesn't seem like he has the juice to carry a team single handedly like he might have been able to do pre injury. Yeah. They're just in a really interesting predicament. I just, from what I hear, Kevin Durant's injury is not as bad as people thought it was. Um, some people are predicting Great. March, April return. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that was, that would, that would be, I mean, ideal for this year, but I, I, of course, you want him to come back at his own pace. You don't want, not that it was wrong for somebody like DeMarcus Cousins to come back from his Achilles injury too soon. I mean, if he wasn't ready, he probably wouldn't have played, but. Yeah, I, is is that playoff berth and whatever he could do this season worth what it might cost if too soon in the next couple of years? I, I don't know. I mean, hopefully it's not as bad and he can just play basketball sooner because I think that's what, what everybody, except maybe the Pistons fans who want a playoff berth at the end of the season, I think <laughs> mostly everybody will want to see that. Yeah, I mean, for me, honestly, it really doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's all really a toss. It's really a what like an interesting situation. Like I still don't think Kevin Durant comes here when he, if he's healthy, I still think he goes across the river to Manhattan, but that's right. just me. Right. Um, I think knowing the doctor who he got a surgery on and then Kyrie just being comfortable with everything. I think that's why he chose Brooklyn over the Knicks. Right. Yeah. I don't think there should be, should be any, any regrets about what happens this season. You, like you said, I mean, you just got to, appreciate that you have both of these players and and i i think all the nets have to do is kind of weather the storm if they do end up with a worse record than last year it it doesn't mean that everything was a disaster it just means that 30 million dollars a year went to a player or 30 million dollars or so this year went to a player that yeah barely got to play and it's hard for any team yeah, to succeed I in agree. that way so the only thing is it's it, for me last season last season's season was so special it's it's hard for me to say still say goodbye to D'Angelo because he really wanted to stay but you can't say no to Kyrie and Kevin Durant exactly yeah i mean it's just not a bet that that you can uh that you can write home about and really feel comfortable about it because like you said you don't get Durant if you don't get Kyrie in the door and a lot of Pelicans fans, including myself, were kind of toying with the idea is is an Anthony Davis trade. This was way yeah, back with a D'Angelo Russell package work. Would If he was the center of it, maybe get a couple of other pieces. How would that work? And then there were, I mean, as we were waiting, there was no actual reports of this. But what if instead of giving the money that they eventually gave to Redick and favors, maybe the Pelicans chased Russell with a max offer. So he has a lot of fans outside of Brooklyn as well. But I do think uh, his departure is one of those moves where you say, okay, this hurts, but it's kind of what you need to do as a team that's pursuing a championship. You got to get rid of some of those fan favorites and try to hope that the pieces that are replacing them are the ones that are going to push you in the, uh, further. In the I right agree. Direction. How do you think Golden State is going to look with the three-guard lineup? You know, I think – I mean, I'm a big fan of the three-guard lineups. I actually wrote a piece on the bird rights earlier this summer because in preparation for all these three-guard lineups, I assume the Pelicans are going to be running. But I think it's going to be fun once Clay gets back. I mean, there's, there is a lot of speculation that maybe Russell won't even last until Clay gets back. Maybe they trade him this year. 
but I do think he's going to stick around. And I do think that when all is said and done, the Warriors are going to be right where they want to be at the end of the season. I would be kind of surprised if they weren't a top four seed in the West, even without Thompson playing, because I mean, Stephen Curry and Draymond Green are, are really good at basketball. They can be the top two. And if D'Angelo Russell is your, your third option, a guy that can take over games on a given night, that's a pretty comfortable spot to be in. And I mean, obviously a guy like Kevon Looney might have to step up a little bit to kind of round out the starting rotation, but I think they're going to be, they're going to be really fun to watch. And I think they're probably going to be better than people might be expecting because of who they lost. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just really interested to see it. I can't wait to see Clay, Steph and D'Angelo, especially with how bad, what average defensively Steph and D'Lo are and how elite Clay is. It's just going to be a really yeah, fun Yeah, watch. exactly. Exactly. Yes, Clay can definitely hold his own with, with the guys that have that sort of problematic size at times. Yeah. So it'll, they're, they're definitely a, a league pass team, which seems weird for a team that was favored to win the championship the last five years. Yeah, it's but really weird. A sneaky good watch. Yeah, they, they're on my top list. I have a lot this year. I have the Hawks, you guys, uh, the Bulls, Cleveland. I like all the, the young teams. I think they – they resonate with Ooh, me. Cleveland too, huh? That that one's kind of surprising. I'm, I'm not ready to buy in on, on Cleveland just yet. I as, as really am excited for the Sexton Garland combo. Ooh, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I I told myself before he got drafted, seeing that Sexton game where he kind of took over the 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 game three on five and almost won it on all time. Yeah, and then he helped the Nets out. Him, you know, game clinching shots over Detroit. I think a couple times. So. He helped the Nets out to clinch in that right. playoff burst. Uh, I owe it to him. Right. Yeah, that always that'll always <laughs> endear a player. That, that's why I still – if Etwan Moore, when he was on the Bulls, hadn't hit a buzzer-beating three against the Thunder back in 2015, Pelicans wouldn't have made the playoffs that year. So we can overpay him however much he wants for four years. Yeah. That, was, that was worth it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want to get one last thing. And What are your predictions for both the Nets and the Pelicans? Where do you think they finish their record? And do you think they make the playoffs? You know what? I'm going to stay stay relatively optimistic here. I think it's not out of the question that both of these teams can finish with the same record and kind of sneak into the playoffs in either the seventh or the eighth spot. I think 43 and 39 is is about where I would go for the Pelicans, and maybe the Nets are a game worse just because I'll I'll take the Pelicans. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's fair. Well, I do definitely appreciate you jumping on here, Mike. Um, I'll be sure to. We're going to be releasing this, I think, Sunday or Monday. So be sure to look out for that. We hope to have the support from all the Pelicans fans on this pod. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on, Brandon. I'll definitely get the Pelicans fans to spread the love. All right. I appreciate it, Mike. You have yourself a great weekend, okay? All right. You too. Thank Thank you. you.